Hey everyone, this is Mike Dunn, and you are listening to Rethinking EDU. I am here with my amazing co-host, Janine. How are you doing tonight? Uh, I'm awesome, and I'm really looking forward to chatting about the importance of networking in the field of education. Yeah, yeah. And I'm here with Julie Cook. Julie, how are you feeling today? Well, I've spent all day quoting the wise philosophers, the animals. I've got to get out of this place if it's the last thing I ever do. <laughs> awesome. And Matt Downing, of course. Matt, how are you feeling? Feeling good. Just uh, laying low over here in West Philly. Just just trying to get by. Got you. You know, the, it's really um, a nod to do would be to start singing Will Smith right now. <laughs> and I can't bring myself to do that. I, oh, I was hoping you would. I wish I could. I wish I could. Yeah. And uh, so we're starting this next uh, few episodes here of our podcast with a focus on networks. And hopefully before you listen to this episode, you've listened to our little kickoff episode all about what networks are and why we're focusing on networks of schools. Tonight, we're going to be focusing on teacher-powered schools as a national network. And we have an amazing guest, Dion Jackson, from the Woods Learning Center in lovely Casper, Wyoming. How are you, Dion? I'm doing great. Thanks. Just, you know, working on trying to stay connected through technology. <laughs> yeah, we were sort of jokingly saying before our episode that some of us have been spending how many? Seven hours on Zoom a day? Is that true for you? It's absolutely true. Trying to uh, teach young children as well as their parents how to have a Zoom call. It's been fun. <laughs> oh my gosh. If we were to do a follow-up segment to our first three episodes, it would be all about parents and Zoom conferencing, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> no, Matt knows about that too. But before we get into chatting with Dion about teacher-powered schools, I want to get a little bit of a sense of what teacher-powered schools are, number one. And number two... Julie and Janine, y'all both work at Teacher Powered, uh, Teacher Powered School here outside of Philadelphia. And so I want to kind of give a snapshot into what your guys' school is like. I'm happy to start and then I'm sure um, they can uh, add on. But Teacher Powered School is, um, our schools are really a school governance structure where teacher have, teachers have the ability to make decisions and changes within a school. And the beauty of it is there is no set model and each teacher powered school that you encounter will look a little bit different, even though the premise behind um, behind them is the same and how they make decisions that affect their students. And I think that looks um, very different across the country. Um, teacher powered schools is a network, um, as Mike had just pointed out. Um, and our school um, right outside of Philadelphia is a teacher powered school as well. Um, and you know, Dion's school uh, doesn't have a principal. Um, the teachers lead um, all of the decision-making in a collaborative leadership model, um, which I hope she can go into more detail with. Um, and then um, we do have a principal in our school. Uh, we have a dual leadership model, actually. And um, so, yeah, we make decisions uh, collectively about curriculum and budget and hiring um, and more. Interesting. Um... So it sounds like the power of the teacher power school lies sort of in the governance and leadership structure. Dion, would you say that that's true? And can you talk a little bit about how that works in your school? Sure, it is. It's definitely um, just the way the school is run. 
our school was built um, and opened in 1990 without a principal. So it has never had a principal. And so what that looks like in our school is we have an administrative team that runs the school and that team is comprised of 13 um, certified teaching staff, one administrative manager, which is really just like our glue that holds us together. She's at the front office and she takes calls and delegate, delegates work um, to whoever is, might be running the team um, that needs that information at the time. And then we also have um, one support staff or classified staff member on our administrative team that is the voice for our classroom assistants and our custodian. And so we have representatives from every aspect um, in our school that serve on that administrative team. Um, and then as a members of that team, we really list out all of the jobs or roles that a principal would have and we divvy those up um, between team members. So. Um, for example, I'm in charge of like the school improvement plan and the um, collaboration at the district level to make sure that our plan um, supports the district plan since we are a um, public district school. Dion, actually, I was wondering, um, do you want to tell us a little bit about the structure of your district? I think it's really interesting. It's probably different than you know, we're all from Pennsylvania, so I think it's definitely different from going on here. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, in Casper, we are all schools of choice. Um, we do not have neighborhood schools, and so um, all students um, make a top three choice for what school they would like to go to, and they are lotteried into schools. So, um, so yeah, every school in Casper, we have about 20 elementary schools, um, three middle schools, and three high schools, and kids get to choose, or students, parents get to choose for their children which school they go to. Um, in our district, we are the only teacher-powered school without a principal, but we are um, very well supported by the district, and they support our structure. We do have um, a school that is an up-and-coming teacher-powered school, but they do have a principal. And then the other schools um, would be more traditional with a principal. I just think that's a really interesting thing to point out, that here you are, a teacher-powered school, that you are within a district of you know, a variety of different types of schools. And do you find that people, Dion, are interested, particularly interested in the teacher power school as a destination for their child? Um, we, are, um, we are highly sought after, and I would like to say that it's because we're a teacher-powered school. <laughs> um, I, I think that is part of it, but I, we are also the smallest school in our district with a whole with only 180 students in a K-8 building. Um, so uh, when yeah. people come to our school, I think for the first reason they come because we are small and you know we get to know the students really well. And then I think they do stay because of the way it's run and the way um, we get to make decisions that affect the children um, and and it works really well. So Dion, I'm, uh, I have a question. I'm from a large public school and we have a sort of a heavy administrator presence in the school building and thinking about a school building without you know principals can be a little bit unsettling for me can you take me through a little bit like how the day-to-day -day would go about you know without the principal there so you know with behavior and like um, big decisions that have to be made on the spur of a moment could you like give us a little insight into the day-to-day -day functions of, of your school Sure. Um, and the, I mentioned earlier that we have an administrative manager, and that really is the reason um, that we have that position. She would kind of look like a, a cross between an office manager and an, an assistant principal in a way. 
Um, so on a day-to-day -day basis, we um, all of us teach in teams at our school. So when there is a behavior problem, we are able to have our partner teacher take the class and we can um, take, you know, work with the student. If it's severe enough that the student needs to leave the classroom, one of us can go with the child and um, work out that behavior. We, um, if it were to get to something like we have a middle school, so obviously there can be some um, <laughs> pretty intense behaviors that in most schools would result in um, a visit to the principal's office. We call that drama. <laughs> yeah, oh, and a lot of it, a lot of it at the middle level, I know. So, um, so that then a teacher would usually end up in the front office with our administrative manager to help determine the best thing. I mean, we have had to suspend students. And our administrative manager really does the paperwork for that um, and makes the phone calls to parents. But the teacher at the end of the day is the one that has actually made that decision. And their administrative manager just does the follow through for the behaviors. Um, so your your administrative manager, do they have an admin cert? And um, do they want to be an administrator or are they a certified teacher and they're acting in that role? Um, they, um, she is a certified teacher, um, but she's really, they, they don't have to be, um, a certified okay. person for that role. And she does not have an administrative degree, oh, nor does she want one. <laughs> okay. yeah. yeah. It's so interesting that you're talking about that because I've been thinking recently, um, you know, the, the four of us co-hosts are all, um, in the throes of a doctoral program right now. And our doctoral program doesn't come with an administration certification at the end. And so I've been like casually looking around, like, what do I want to do after I graduate from this doctoral program? And I'm like, do I want to become a principal? And I realize, oh, wait, it, to be a principal, I've got to get some sort of principal certification. Do people that work at um, Woods Learning Center do folks on faculty there have administrator cert certifications or is that something that like Wyoming doesn't care that much about? Absolutely. Uh, they do care okay. um, <laughs> because Woods has been around for so long when they, um, when they first opened Woods Learning Center in 1990, the, um, they wanted to have someone with uh, an administrative certification on board. Um, and so they had two teachers that first opened Woods that did have their admin degrees. Um, and even though they were not an acting principal, they just had the knowledge in the building. And those teachers have since retired and we have not replaced that. Um, mm. So the funny you should ask, cause I'm actually thinking about applying to get mine just so the knowledge is in our building. Um, mm. Because it, it does come up sometimes that, you know, you guys don't have anyone that has that in your building. So we are constantly um, doing trainings and um, getting leadership, help with leadership tasks um, in order to do that. We do have, um, which, which I think helps us out in the district, because we do not have an administrator on staff, we um, cannot do evaluations on our own. So we do have oh, an evaluator come from the district level and then they do support us if we have a question you know about something legal or um something that a decision that only administrator could make the teachers make the decision and then they follow through with that for us so we've been given a really great support system by our district for that dion 
I'm wondering um, what's valuable about the Teacher Powered School Network. You know, what is it like for teachers in your building um, to work in a school with this governance model? Um, you know, well, I actually, it's interesting. I, if you, if you, some of you may know this, but I actually student taught at Woods Learning Center and then I left for three years and then a spot opened up. So I quickly ran back. And the reason I did is I think is what makes it so valuable is that you have so much ownership and so much um, just buy-in and you feel so responsible for the building as a whole that um, when you make a decision, you're affecting the students, you're affecting the staff, you're affecting the building and the parents. So just it's just a sense of pride that you can make a difference um, in a huge way every day by the decisions that we are able to make. Can you maybe walk us through what are the decisions? I know um, that teacher-powered schools calls them aut autonomies. Um, mm -hmm. So uh, what are some of the decision-making processes or the structures you have in place and what kind of decisions do you make throughout the day? So um, when we say, we, we've been very fortunate in that our district understands us. So when they say, you know, we need a decision on, you know, maybe your learning program or the resources that you're going to use for reading, they always give us extra time because they know that, you know, our 14 or 15 headed principal needs a little bit more time <laughs> to make that decision. So um, it, they rarely, I mean, I think I can only think of maybe one or two instances where we had to make a decision on the fly. They always give, give us extra time to make those. And so then because they give us that time, we have um, our Friday afternoons, our students are released at noon. And we have every Friday afternoon as an administrative team to meet for several hours to make the decisions um, needed for our building. And so when we do that, that usually looks um, something like, uh, like if I'm on um, the, like the professional development team, for example, and I have just recently done some research and I found out something that would really help our building. I've done all the research. I have all the prices. Um, I think I, I have a good idea of who it would most benefit and how it would best um, help the students. And so I take that proposal to our Friday administrative meeting and, and I, I just propose it and people um, then vote on a fist to five. Um, if there are three and above, the proposal moves forward. And if they're below a three, then they ask questions or we get information until we're ready to make a decision. And that goes for, I mean, every decision as to, um, you know, what new resources we might be purchasing or what professional development trips we might be going on or what our new schedule is going to look like for next year. Um, some other decisions we we were able to make, um, you know, some school level policy decisions as long as they fit under the big umbrella of the some of the district policies, then we are able to make changes um, for the things that happen in our building. So I've got two takeaways that I think are interesting to think about with this is number one, the fist to five method that I've been using with my high schoolers for like 10 years has professional value. That's amazing. <laughs> I can barely believe that's, that's actually happening. So that's really awesome. My second takeaway uh, is that um, this could be really intimidating for a teacher thinking about having to make like, active everyday decisions in the governance and leadership of a school. And I would be curious, Dion, if you could just kind of share 
how maybe you came, I assume you didn't go to a teacher powered school as a student, (laughs) maybe you did, and how you came to like or love the model as you have. You're right. I did not attend a teacher-powered school. <laughs> they were not around then. Um, <laughs> uh, so, I, you know, I do think it can be intimidating. And our um, staff really does a nice job um, bringing people on board. So the first year that um, if we have a new staff member come on board, they usually um, kind of shadow some people in some roles they might be interested in to just really kind of see how it works. And Everyone does have an equal voice from, you know, someone that's been there 20 years to a first year teacher, but they can really see how it works and kind of start to get their feet wet um, and try to take on some things, you know, their second and their third year. Um, They, I think another, when I, when I first went to Woods and became a teacher at Woods, I, I knew how it ran, but I didn't really understand just the amount of work that it took because those teachers that have been there the longest, you know, more of the veteran teachers, they take the bulk of the work. And now I'm one of those. It happened a lot faster than I thought it would. Um, (laughs) Sure. (laughs) And so people just take on um, tasks as they feel comfortable and it really has worked. I think if we had a, you know, a huge change in staff, one year with many new people, it, it wouldn't work. But luckily, we do not have a high turnover rate and people really stick around. So interesting. Hmm. Okay. Uh, I'm curious. We're talking a lot about Dion School, and that's super valuable to give some insight into what things look like at Woods. Maybe, Janine, do you want to give some insight into what things look like at your school? I, and I'm I'm particularly intrigued because earlier in the segment, I think a few folks mentioned that teacher-powered schools can look very different from one school to another. Um, Yes, actually, I think it's great to point out that there are a lot of different teacher-powered schools um, and how they're run and how they're governed. Um, Dion was saying that there is this list of autonomies that we kind of refer to and check off to kind of determine a teacher-powered school. Um, We do have a principal, um, but... We are, we are small, like Dion School. We are a K-8 charter school, and we service about 230, 240 students, and we probably have about 30 full-time staff. Um, we co-teach uh, Dion School. I think you guys co-teach too, don't you? Yes, we do. So, um, we co-teach. Every, every classroom has at least two teachers in it, if not more. Um, that's awesome because within our own classrooms, we are making curricular decisions all the time, and... Know, we can bounce ideas off each other all the time. We change our schedules. We say, all right, let's let's switch up the afternoon and <laughs> let's do history first instead of science, whatever it might be. Whoa. Um, Whoa. <laughs> I know. I Slow know. down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We, we have a lot of control over that. Um, I'd say, too, we, we have what's called a collaborative committee. Uh, we hold these meetings to like uh, at least once, if not twice a month. They are optional for teachers to come and participate you can volunteer to be on the committee or not (laughs) but uh, it's an avenue for teachers to be able to bring ideas forward and they can can propose an idea Um, just like Dion was kind of saying we can um, uh, vote on it we we kind of took that fist 
<laughs> or zero to five idea and we do a fist to three. Um, but same sort of idea with um, being able, you know, does it have support, you know, uh, for giving it a three, then, you know, it's moving on to the next round or it's, it's, it's going to an action committee. Um, same thing with like a two, like, oh, we're okay, but we still might have some reservations, you know, and so on. So if, if it gets a zero, then it stops and we have to have a conversation about it and things don't end up moving forward. But having the collaborative committee, I think, is a great way for um, teachers to, to have an active voice and a say in the decision-making process and what's going on at the school. Um, I would just add that, um, you know, Dion's school is like a sister school to um, our, our charter school. And I think, uh, we, you know, we, we actually traveled out to Casper, Wyoming, uh, which is beautiful out there, um, and had an opportunity to visit uh, Dion's school. And um, a team of teachers actually came out to the Philadelphia area um, from Wyoming to visit our school um, because we're like-minded. Um, and that's something I think about the power of networks uh, drove us to that place where we were willing to fly across the country to see um, our schools in action. Um, so that was fantastic. We've had a lot of different collaborations um, between the two schools because we have so much in common and we're, we're like-minded. Yeah, I love that, Julie. And I think that brings me to my next question for um, either you or Dion or Janine. If you can zoom us out a little bit and look at the network as a whole, right? So we're looking at teacher-powered schools. How many, how many teacher-powered schools are there in the country, would you say? Oh, gosh. The last time I looked, I thought it was like 120, but I'm going to guess that it's more now. And so we're talking about a pretty good-sized network. And the last time I checked out the map, the teacher-powered schools are really scattered sort of all about the country. Um, you know, there's, there's some uh, in the Midwest, there's some on the East Coast, some in the, in the Plain states, right? Um, I would love to hear from y'all about how you feel like the network supports the efforts that you're trying to put forth in your schools. Been, actually, this has been a pretty exciting year for us, and um, I think uh, Julie could probably talk about the same. We're As we prepare for our next conference, we're thinking about um, things that we're working on, and the things that we're working on in our buildings, there's usually been another school within the network that has done it before or encountered the same thing. So the beauty of being part of a, a larger network that these like-minded individuals can um, help when you know things get tough or when you get kind of stuck because it it's really amazing but there are definitely challenges and we all get to that place where we need help from other other people that have gone before us or struggled through the same things and so this year we've really relied heavily on the network um to just help us through some decision making um processes and and making change in our building because even though we do facilitate our own conversations um, the majority of the time, sometimes it's nice to be able to just take off your leadership hat and just be a teacher and mm -hmm. let someone else lead the conversation that is unbiased. And so we have brought in um, some people. We were um, fortunate, uh, just like Satterton, to get um, a grant to kind of help us um, bring in some professionals to help us lead some conversations. And that grant was also through the Teacher Powered Network. Um, and we've just, you know, looking at elect to work documents and getting ready to write some of those. Someone had already written those, and so they just share them with us. So really just being able to help each other out, um, I think has been the biggest um, value in becoming a part of a, of a bigger network. I mean, I'm just saying that um, I facilitate great conversations and I love Casper, Wyoming. <laughs> 
Oh, more than happy to, you know, rent a car and drive from Cheyenne to Casper. It'd be lovely. Just just saying. We can do that. Let's let's arrange it. <laughs> Once the coronavirus is gone. Yeah. Well, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, let's wait till that's over, then we'll then we'll just road trip. Yeah, that sounds great. Let's just add Janine and Julia Matt, let's just add this to our list, right? That's right. That's right. It's crazy cool out there. I will say that the wildlife is amazing. That and the deer, the deer, they, and, the, and the antelope, they literally just play. Like it's, they come up, they'll eat food out of your hand. It's and it's crazy. You got the go wave there. and wheat. You just can't get enough. Is that what you're saying right now? <laughs> so if if I'm thinking about um, teacher powered schools as a place, and I want to zoom like way out now. If I'm thinking about teacher-powered schools as a place in education movements in the country, you know, where does it fit on the in in this conversation about what schools can and should be doing differently? I think I'll I'll jump in here for a second. I think there is, you know, first of all, teacher-powered schools is they're they're partnered with education evolving and CTQ. I'm sure most teachers have heard of those organizations. Um, I think if we look at the whole movement of teacher powered, it's really about flipping the hierarchy, right? About putting teachers in the driver's seat so that they can make decisions that are in the best interest of students. So when I think about, you know, teacher powered, you might be thinking, well, that that's great for the teachers, but what's in it for the kids? I think if you put a bunch of teachers in the driver's seat, they make decisions that are putting students first. Um, so I think that's really what it's about. If we take, you know, a broad view of the of the network called teacher powered schools. I think we're seeing that right now, right? Like teachers had the opportunity to take the lead really and make these decisions as school has changed just within the past couple of weeks here and students in online learning or whatever it ends up being in their districts and um i i, I wonder if this movement of teacher-powered schools is going to take off a bit more now because of it i was thinking about that and especially what julie said about flipping the hierarchy and it just automatically re reminded me that um our our teachers take turns going to the district level principals meetings. And I mean, we we love the principals and they do a lot of fantastic work. And so I think a lot of people sometimes look at this as, oh, this teacher powered is an anti-principal, you know, <laughs> initiative. And that's not the case at all. It's just really letting teachers help make those decisions that are closest to students. And when I go to those principal meetings, it's fascinating because the principals, when they are you know, thinking of the building as a whole from the top down, sometimes they're, they don't miss things or they don't see things that are right in front of teachers every day. So I ask a lot of questions like, what does this look like in my classroom from this perspective? And the principals have never even thought of that. And so I think as we're looking at the, is the nation as a whole is just really allowing teachers the voice and the perspective that a lot of times the principals don't see because they don't have children right in front of them. Well, and I think increasing teacher voice and student voice um, is super important right now. There's in a lot of places around the country, there's a teacher shortage. And by and large, we can say that it's not a problem with recruitment. Um, it's a problem with getting us to stay. Um, and I think when teachers have 
you know, more of that decision-making power, if we're going to be held accountable, then having the decision-making power over the things that affect our practice, um, this is one of the reasons why teachers end up staying in the profession. So I've been at my school for some 17 years. I know, uh, Dion, you've been um, at Woods for a long time, right? <laughs> yeah, about 15, actually. <laughs> yep, yep. And so that staying power, I think, you know, that's some, there's something to that as well. So let's play devil's advocate a little bit. What are some of the biggest struggles that teacher-powered schools encounter? Um, and I kind of talked about this a little bit before. I think some of those, that time to make decisions, mm, um, yeah. you know, we, especially the, right now is a great case because we are all having to do our meetings online and a district, a, when the district wants a decision, they don't get it in a day, they get it in about three or four. And so we're finding that um, time to make decisions and then communicate that to wherever it might need to go is probably one of the biggest challenges. Um, and then just continuing to work on communication as we all are throughout every aspect of our <laughs> life. But yeah. communication between 15 people who are very passionate about what they do um, is probably one of the biggest challenges. Super fun. I find that to be such a fun, I, I work at a school that is full of absolutely passionate individuals. And sometimes we just get in these heated meetings about the most, you know, in hindsight, the most ridiculous things. And there's so, it's such fun conversations. Like we have, we have this annual award ceremony at our school that's coming up in the next month or something like that. And we get into, into a room, the entire upper school faculty. And so for us, that's grades nine through 12. There's about 35 of us. And we all sit in this room together and argue over these 12 awards that are <laughs> given out every year. And it is, it is heated, I'm telling you, because kids are um, deserving and teachers really care about students. And when you really get into it that's what this is really all about right is putting people in the driver's seat in schools that deeply care about students and they're willing to put students and the governance of a school before anything else they're willing to make those decisions that are the shortest distance between the student and the and the teacher really and and those decisions can then be um, directly reflected in everyday practice and that can be one of the challenges too, is because, <laughs> sure, yeah. you're, because you're involved in decision making, um, you know, you're not just teaching. I mean, nobody really does just teach, but you, you're wearing many hats um, and, it, and you can kind of feel like you're spread thin sometimes. Well, and it, it also takes time to build that culture that Dion is talking about, you know, how to communicate um, your passionate ideas and listen to others, you know, I think that becomes really important, but a really wonderful model too for the students um, who are watching us all the time. Um, but, you know, imagine, you know, here we have students watching teachers working in a, a, a democratic environment where there's um, voice and um, know-how and say-so and all those decision-making um, possibilities all around them. I think that's, it, I think it's a wonderful model for students to be a part of as well. 
So Matt, you and I don't work in teacher power schools. Right. And I want to just take a maybe a minute here, maybe two minutes, whatever. And just listening to what Julie, Janine, and Dion are talking about, um, what do you think some of your takeaways are from teacher-powered schools and this network of, of schools? Um, and I'll share some of mine as well, but if you want to go first. Yeah, this yeah. has been fascinating, you know, listening to this because this is this is totally foreign from what <laughs> right. from what I've experienced. And uh, you know, it's really made me rethink EDU. Dropping the podcast time. You know, I had to drop the podcast in. Um, <laughs> but I mean, you know, just some like basic ways like like I'm really energized by the idea of equity, you know, that all like I'm I'm all about equity for students, but like equity for teachers too, like that all teachers are treated the same whether they're a first year teacher or 20 years and I haven't experienced that. You know, it's like, oh that's the rookie teacher, you know, he's going to earn his keep, you know. We're not going to let <laughs> you know, he's not going to take my seat at the faculty table or you know, it's that West Philly mindset, yeah. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> um and the idea that teachers are empowered, you know, when, when decisions are made, like oftentimes, and, and some principals are great leaders, you know, and I really appreciate what they do. But like, oftentimes I see the teachers looking to the principal waiting to make a decision or pointing the finger at the decision that they made um, because they don't agree with it. And like, another thing I love, I don't know much about teacher powered schools. That's why this has been really interesting to me, but like, seeing it also seems like project-based learning is at the core of it i'm not sure maybe y'all can chime in but like that's really exciting that it's it's also about the pedagogy it's not just about the governance but it it like flows out like more to the students yeah we are if we woods learning center was um created and started as a project-based school many years ago and even though that the definition of project-based has changed um, it's changed as the needs of the students have changed. And so now instead of just solely project-based, we are, we say inquiry-based because we're weaving it into um, more things that we do. So yeah, you oh, totally good. read into that just, just perfectly. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's interesting for me to kind of um, listen in on this conversation and think about how it applies to my current, current context. My school kind of uh, toes this line between being teacher powered and being admin powered. Um, if, if, the, if, that's a, if that's a thing, right? And we have a really great supportive administration. They always have our backs, I feel like. And there's rarely do they ask us to do things that I feel uncomfortable with or rarely are they making decisions that I'm questioning. And if they do, they often have open forums for us as faculty to go have conversations with them and talk about like what decisions are happening. Um, but I, at the end of the day, there are still things that the administration says that we have to do that I'm sure if you gave teachers the power, they would probably decide on something different. <laughs> and I think that's really interesting to, to think about um, how administrators can gain extra insight into classrooms if teacher power is not going to be the way that their school is going to go. What is the like medium that can exist between a true teacher power school, maybe that has um, more consensus driven governance like Dion is talking about, a teacher powered school that has a principal like Janine and Julie are talking about, but what about a school that is not teacher powered but wants to implement more teacher power autonomies? 
And Julie is always asking me, check out the teacher power autonomies, check out the teacher power autonomies. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, yeah, that's cool, but I don't think we're quite there yet, you know? And so I, I'm questioning, like, what can my school to do to really get into those autonomies? How can we really grapple with some of the things that y'all are talking about when it comes to being a true teacher-powered school and kind of move away from the, we like to say that we're driven by teachers and teachers help make decisions, but really at the end of the day, it still is the administrator making that decision. So that's kind of what comes up for me. Um, the other thing that I love is I love small schools. I've worked at small schools my whole life, and I think that they're my whole life, my whole teaching career. And uh, I, have a, I have appreciation for schools that are nimble, adaptive, and flexible. And it sounds like um, most of the teacher-powered schools within the network probably fit into those categories as well. Um, and so I, I, I appreciate that. Last thing I would say is um, some there's something to be said about people that work in networks of schools and schools that are not of the usual kind of cookie cutter mold. There's something to be said about those individuals as being really fascinating humans. And I say this all the time about young teachers, like, who are you as a human being? You know, why are you getting up and sharing your life and your story and your practice with young people? And I find that all of the teacher power school people I've met are just interesting people. You know, they think about the world in, in interesting ways and want to share that with students. And I hope that we can showcase that a little bit more as we move on with our other network um, school interviewees, that those people I think will be fascinating individuals as well and want to share their viewpoints with, um, with young people in really interesting ways. So, all right, our second to last segment here is going to be about how teacher power schools are encouraging us to rethink education in some way. I would love to hear from everybody. Well, I think... Um... I will jump in here, Mike, you're, one of your points that you had made, you know, looking at teacher powered schools on a continuum, um, not so sure that that is how, um, you know, the network in general sees it as that, you know, you're all in with teacher powered or you're just a little teacher powered, you know, we've seen <laughs> teacher powered principals in action in, you know, just a department in a very, very large public high school. Um, we've seen whole schools adopt the model. Uh, we've seen um, schools move toward more collaborative leadership processes. So I think that there's starting points, uh, but I also think that no one size fits all model is going to work in every context. Uh, mm. So it has to do with, you know, what do the stakeholders want? Um, what exists there now? Um, you know, what, what can this teacher-powered school practices, what, what do these autonomies help us accomplish? Uh, so really looking at that um, and checking it out, I think, uh, you know, no harm, no foul. I think it could definitely improve people's mindset and really take some of the burden off of some of the top decision makers in some schools now. Um, and by increasing the way teachers have um, a voice in the school, uh, will improve the environment, will improve the decisions that are made, and ultimately really affect kids in a really positive way, I think. Uh, the power of the, the teacher's voice and the um, prominence of that within school decisions and 
and how things are, are often made. And I mean, it was pointed out, um, I think Dion, you said this earlier, like, you know, you go to a principal's meeting and I agree, there's a lot of great principals, but like oftentimes they don't know what's going on in the classroom because they're doing so many other things. And these teacher powered networks are really interesting to me to, to bring that, the power and the, the presence of the teacher's voice because they know what's going on into all of the decisions. And uh, yeah, yeah, that's fascinating. What I'm thinking is that teachers are professionals and they should be treated as such. Uh, that here they are, the they're like the our first line of defense, working with students on a daily basis for hours at a time, and that they should have the power to make decisions that are impacting students. I think one of the biggest um, things that um, we're rethinking is really the parents' view of teachers. Um, I think, especially in our case, that parents now see teachers not only as the teachers in the classroom, they see them as leaders and truly as professionals that are um, leading the education for their child. Yeah, that's awesome. I, I definitely have thought about all of the things that you just mentioned. And I would add that teacher-powered schools make me rethink about how big districts anywhere in the country can really be redoing education to meet the, meet the needs of students in a variety of ways. I think of, say, like the Maplebrook School District, which is just outside of Denver in Colorado. They've really sort of decentralized their school models to say, how can we meet the students' needs in an early college model? How can we meet the students' needs in a big picture model? How can we meet the students' needs in, you know, you name it? And they've tried it there. And that kind of approach to education, I think, is super valuable. Like, why aren't we thinking outside of the typical, you know, 3,000 person comprehensive public school uh, kind of model? And teacher powered schools is just another way to continue to do that. So we're getting down to the end of the podcast. What do you want to plug before we before we leave? Well, I can go ahead and start um, with probably I think the simplest one is um, the teacherpowered.org website. Um, I talked about some of the resources that our school has used that um, are that's on that re- website. Um, there's infographics. Um, one of them uh, I published um, years ago, but it was five innovative skills that are mastered and modeled in teacher-powered schools. So um, that, as well as many others, um, would be really helpful to anyone that's looking to start or looking to grow their practice. I'd like to plug the teacher-powered schools a conference coming up in Minneapolis this fall. Um, um, last conference in Boston, and this one is sure to um, really be phenomenal. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to it, and I hope uh, people check it out. Uh, I'm actually going to give a plug to Trina Kraus and Paul Yin. Um, Trina Kraus is actually an educator, uh, a friend of mine, and she wrote a book with Paul Yin, who is a grief counselor. It's Explosions of Joy. Um, you can check it out online at um, explosionsofjoy.com. It's available on Amazon, uh, and it's a good read while we are all in isolation. Um, I think I'll plug my newest tech website, whiteboard.fi. So we're always on Google Meet these days and Zoom. Um, this is just a simple tool that you can get formative assessments. So you can ask a question, you can send out the link, people can reply, you'll see what they have said, and then you can keep moving on. And it's, 
it's free. It's a, it's a new tool that the developer is, uh, in, you know, making better every day. Awesome. And for me, I read an article that I've been sharing around with some of my families called I Killed My Teenager's Fancy College Dreams and You Should Too. It's on Slate. It was published in December of 2019, but it's so applicable. Read it, check it out. It, it's great, I promise. So thanks everybody for joining us this evening. Dion, we really appreciate you being our guest. Such a pleasure. We hope that you can you know, come back and chat with us at some point later. Co-hosts, I appreciate you all. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Rethinking EDU. Please check back for future episodes in our network series and give us a review on iTunes.